Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. We have really cool guests with us. We have Peter Montoya with us. He's the CEO, and I'm going to go with founder. I'm going to, he can correct me, a marketing pro, and then we're going to talk about Uplifters Community. Both of those are at upliftterscommunity.org and marketing.org. Pro, if you're following along on the internet, listening to us today, um, you can also tweet me at Best Ever You if you want to ask questions. I did I did not open the chat room for this show, um, so just tweet me if you've got something that you want to ask us, um, or you can email me to Elizabeth at BestEverYou.com and we'll we'll ask your questions live on air. Um, gosh, I can't even believe the weather. Just want to chime in and just say that if you're <laughs> I'm in Maine. And I have piles of snow everywhere, and it's baseball season, and I'm frustrated. And Peter, are you someplace warmer than Maine? Today I'm in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is uh, oh. about 7,000 feet <laughs> up here in northern Arizona. And it's, uh, it's beautiful, crisp, and about 55 degrees here today. It's very pretty. I'm jealous. I'm, I'm totally jealous. I heard Arizona was going to get to about 100 degrees this week. I don't know. Probably not where you are, but wow. Right. That's hot. Yeah. And we're... um. Maybe we'll hit, hit, you know, above freezing. <laughs> I'm not sure. Ah. We went to oh, no. one of our sons plays college baseball, and we went to two games in New Hampshire this past weekend, and it was absolutely windy and freezing. Um, I don't know how those kids do it, but and and his parents were all sitting there, you know, in parkas, and they're out there playing, and it was it was pretty fun. But um, let's move on to uh, out of my stories of and whining about the weather, and on to better, more positive, helpful. <laughs> things that we can control and chat about. Um, gosh, I love branding and marketing and all of, you know, everything that goes with it. And boy, if we got the person on to talk about branding and personal branding and individual marketing and tell, instead of me talking, I'd love for you to just take the show over and teach us. But um, you have, you've been doing this since the 90s, is that right? The early 90s, you love, what gave, what gave you a love of personal branding? I'm just Let's just go there and then we'll, we'll go year by year or something fun. <laughs> you're, you're right. I've actually been a speaker and trainer since 1993. Uh, and then I started uh, specializing just in personal branding in 1998 when I started an advertising agency uh, specializing just in financial services financial service professionals uh, in 1998. I wrote a book called The Brand Called You, and I I think now have done some 3,000 presentations uh, on personal branding over the last 25 or 30 years or whatever it might be. Um, uh, And what I I love about the concept is it's really, really holistic. A lot of people think that uh, brand means image, and brand is not the same thing as image. Image is kind of like, you know, almost like wallpaper you put over a wall or something like that, you know, this, the shiny exterior. And brand is much more authentic. It goes to the core of what a person is or what a product is. And it really is about uh, helping sculpt what people think 
about you or a product or service. Uh, and that's why I like it because it really touches all areas of an offering. So if you are um, a professional speaker, if you are a basketball player, if you are a financial service person or a realtor or even a mom, uh, it's not just you know, the clothes you wear or the things you might say. It is the totality of what people experience about you uh, is what becomes the brand. That's so awesome. Do you um did you have a moment? Uh, did you have a moment where you're like this is what I love to do? Um you seem pretty fortunate in that you've you've you love what you do and you're doing it. Um I think so many people struggle to find what it is that they really love to do and sort of hone in on their craft. Was there a moment that you could remember that maybe you could share with us? Where you discovered I think the love? that I, I I would want to limb and say that I think that I'm wired like you're wired, and what really gets me off is being around people who are having revelations and transforming their lives. So that's what gets me really excited. So that's what drew me into becoming, you know, uh, an infopreneur and a speaker and a trainer was to create content to help people change their businesses uh, and then change their lives because of it. Uh, and then the second thing that gets me really excited is seeing people really have authentic connections. Uh, that also gets me really excited. And so I think yeah, it's been, uh, it was kind of built, baked in my DNA when I was in my 20s. Huh. Um, what were you like as a kid? I'm so curious. Like, go back to, like, the kindergarten Peter Montoya and tell us about him. <laughs> well, now that I've got a uh, 12-year-old son, in some regards, having, a, 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 having children is almost like a window into your past, and you can actually kind of <laughs> see what you were like. And I now realize, and I just figured out in the last five years when I was getting my son diagnosed uh, with ADHD, that I have ADHD. So I was uh, somewhat uh, hyperactive, high energy, very motivated. Always a highly driven individual, uh, and then I was my personality is somewhat bifurcated, and then I could be really high energy and very very intense, uh, and then very very uh, soft and loving and have a feminine nature about me as well, and that started to show up as early as five and six years old. Hmm. Did you have you always been a good speaker, or did you have to work at that to learn how to do that? I know um, we we generally when we have marketing folks and branding folks, there's a lot of people out there who are struggling with a, a speaking career and I'm wondering if you could give us some advice there on, on public speaking, keynote speaking, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I was reflecting on that a little while ago. Uh, when I first started speaking, I was God awful. I mean, absolutely horrible, a terrible, terrible speaker. I still remember my first public speaking class at the university of California, Irvine, when I was a sophomore uh, getting up in front of the room, and my knees literally knocked. The pace paper that I was reading from, or taking, you know, had my notes on from the speech, was literally shuddering in my hands because I was so nervous <laughs> and such familiar. a wreck. It was a disaster <laughs> of a speech. Um, but literally, I have literally done some 3,000 presentations now. Uh, and with that level of practice comes a certain level of competence. <laughs> so, yes, anyone can absolutely learn how to speak. I'm willing to bet that uh, uh, of anybody in my graduating class of some 3,000 people at UCI, uh, that I'm probably the only person who has, who has earned a million dollars in speaking fees in their career. So, yes, you can be horrible when you start, but with lots of practice, you can actually become quite good. 
<laughs> Did you ever go back and apologize to the people who said that? <laughs> I, <think> I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I have a few of those where I'm like, you know, I really should go back and say I'm sorry that you had to sit through that. <laughs> That's right. funny. But yeah, no. But so so kind of a practice makes perfect uh, perfect thing. But um, when you're first starting out, who do you find to listen to you? You know, if you go out of the uh, school you know, zone for a minute, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just first thing, you know, whenever you want to become a, a speaker and you want to start speaking of something, you start developing your content. And the best advice I can give you is speak as often as you possibly can and speak for free. So wh- wherever and however you possibly can. And if I was out developing content looking for audiences, I'd probably go to uh, the meeting organization site, meetup.com, uh, M-E-E-T-U-P.com. And you know, search on any given subject, you know, personal growth or whatever your area of interest is. You're going to probably find a dozen groups that meet uh, around you, and just contact the organizers and say, "Hey, listen, I'll come out and speak for free. Here's my subject. What are you looking for? Here's what I can offer you, and just go out and start in speaking for free as often as you possibly can." I hope that helps answer the questions I just got on Twitter. So if not, tweet me again, and, and we'll keep asking to, to make sure we're clear to help you guys out there who are listening right now. Um, I, have a, I have a question about financial services and financial professionals. I noticed that you've, you said you've consulted for a lot of the top financial professionals and so forth, and I know Marketing Pro sort of sits in that zone partially also. Um, why financial services? I you know kind of fell into that and when I was 28 years old and I started my advertising agency I didn't know what I was trying to do was impossible so I just worked really hard at it until I made it work because uh, I was uh, actually prior to that my previous marketplace was uh, was realtors I was teaching realtors how to market themselves these independent independent which I didn't know what that was independent financial advisors were wandering into my seminars saying hey there's this whole industry called independent financial services where financial planners and there's nobody in our industry, teaching us how to market. So I left the company I was working with and started my own company, not having a single client or even a single contact in the industry, and just started cold calling these things called broker-dealers, which I had no idea what that was you know, 20 some odd years ago. Uh, I just started calling them and saying, listen, I can come out and teach your advisors how to market themselves. And that's kind of how I fell into the industry uh, just by kind of dumb luck. But usually most people who decide to specialize in the marketplace have some contacts and experiences. Uh, I I had none. (laughs) I just started doing (laughs) lots and lots of hard work at it until I figured it out. And was that marketing marketing pro or it's on the web, it's marketing.pro? Marketing.pro is the current company, the current incarnation. Uh, back in the day, I think it was under my first company name was Millennium Advertising, is what I called it back then. And then I changed it to Peter Montoya Inc. when I really focused on personal branding. Uh, and then in 2006, we transformed from an advertising agency into a software company, and now we're Marketing.pro. Got it. And and do you want to elaborate and tell us a little bit more about what Marketing.pro does? Do you like it called Marketing Pro or Marketing.pro? Uh, I just call it Marketing Pro, but I just, yeah, okay, you know, obviously I put the dot in there for who people want to want to find the website. Uh, <laughs> so with Marketing Pro, we are an automated marketing service, and we audit, we both create content, which means means we create newsletters and client letters and uh, economic updates. Um, 
just in the financial services space. And then we also do email, direct mail, and social media posts. So for financial planners and stockbrokers, CPAs, and insurance agents who want to maintain contact with their clients, they want to keep their clients, uh, have their clients purchase more of their products and services, um, as well as get more referrals, uh, we're the company they go to to automate all of their client communication and prospect nurturing. And we have a pretty big audience that listens in this space because that's, you know, it's my background is financial services for the most part. And then my husband's a chief compliance officer and a lawyer. And so we have a lot of people on LinkedIn and I share this show on LinkedIn. So I wanted to be sure and ask you because um, what I love about marketing pro also is the information that you're putting out there for people to use is compliant. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. So, I mean, it's not good enough to have an automated system like we do, which is automating email and direct mail. It has to be very affordable, which we are. And then on top of that, it's compliant. We are actually piped into over 100 broker-dealer compliance departments where they log on, review our content, and approve it. So if you're with one of our 100 broker-dealers, which is a good uh, – most of the industry, uh, our content <laughs> is pre-approved for you to, to download and use. That's awesome. Um, and so tell me how this fits in with, with everything that you're doing. So there's a whole financial services side of you, and now there's a whole self-help side of you as well. <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. I'd love to kind of shift over into that area if we can and talk about, like, what uplifterscommunity.org is and kind of the direction you're going in with that, because that's really, it's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, I think so, too, and it really is it's moving from just being a passion side project uh, to my full-time job. Uh, whenever I state the following fact, most people start nodding their heads uh, rather immediately, and that is uh, we are facing an epidemic level of loneliness here in the United States. And what the researchers have come to learn is that being lonely is as detrimental to your health as smoking eight cigarettes a day. Being lonely will knock off some eight to nine years of your lifespan, uh, and on top of that, it will um, also uh, reduce your capacity for memory, uh, your feelings of uh, adequacy, your confidence. Uh, being lonely is absolutely awful for human beings. We are very, very social animals. Uh, and on top of that, what we're also seeing right now in our society, and when I say the following, no one is ever surprised by it, is we are incredibly divided. Um, we don't know how to communicate anymore at a human-to-human -human level. So Uplifters is a community where we're, simply put, we're a group of nice people who want to be surrounded by nice people and do well by others, and it's a school of life. So Elizabeth, do you remember that school, that class you took when you were in high school, which taught you how to live better, a better life, that taught you about you know, finance and relationships yeah. and how to perform better? Do you remember that class you took in high school? I do. No. I do remember. No, I, I don't either. <laughs> I don't really remember. No, I do actually. I mean, we had we had kind of a cool high school, honestly, um, in Iowa, and there were there were there was like a sort of a home ec life course that you could take, and I actually took it. I might be one of the only go ones you. who took it. Yeah, go me. Go I was you. interested back then, but so I actually do. So, but most people don't have that luxury, and I get where you're where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So we are a life school where we actually go through and explore and talk about different things and how to get the most out of life. So we talk about you know, how incredibly detrimental shame is. It's probably one of the most destructive things that we can do for ourselves. 
uh, and how it keeps us in relation, being in relationship with other people. Uh, we talk about you know, how to grow, which is actually kind of difficult to do. It's really hard for us to change our own thought process. Uh, we talk about how to live better together, which is more or less what morality is. We explore all sorts of different topics on a regular basis. We have regular in-person meetings. Uh, we get together and just basically uh, talk about how can we be better together. Uh, and so we are mm-hmm. in a very, very deeply intimate, interconnected community of people uh, helping each other out to live better and also making the world better. I love it. Talk, go back to um, grow for a minute because I'm, I'm really big into being a lifelong learner. And um, mm-hmm. at approaching 50, I think it's, it's even more important uh, because you can get really comfy and when you're comfortable, I just, yeah, it just, there's no growth happening when you're really super comfortable. You're, you're absolutely right. So what the most, the strangest um, oxymorons of the following is that it's easy to be stagnant and it's hard to grow, but growing feels so much better. So when we get into our little routines and we kind of stay where we are, it feels more comfortable kind of on the onset, but really it it is. It doesn't feel better. And so growth actually feels better, um, but it kind of takes some courage to do so. And so every single person needs to find out their own specific recipe for how they grow. And usually it's not just one thing. It's not just goal setting. So goal setting is a way that people grow and they change themselves. Being in relationship with other people is another way we grow. Um, in that if we are uh, alone and isolated, we become very arrogant, self-righteous, and also rather blind to how we affect other people. And when we're in a relationship with a spouse and family members and close friends, we get a chance to see how we act and behave. And people go, you know, when you did that over there, you hurt my feelings. Or did you know you were shaming me and you when you said that? Um, so it gives us an opportunity for us to kind of reflect upon ourselves and grow. Meditation is another part of the recipe. Reflection and journaling and listening to podcasts and reading books and consciously saying, you know what, I'm going to do less of this and more of that. The discipline, the daily disciplines, all those can be effective uh, weapons to help us change uh, the way we are and actually grow. And each person needs to be on a little journey to figure out what works best for them. Do you ever do things that are just so intentionally outside of your comfort zone? And I know, so like for me, this is going to be different for you and me because you've like traveled with a million miles and like I'm from, I, my kids make fun of me when I say this, I'm from Iowa and my big, my big thing was like moving to Minneapolis and then from there I got a job and I was like, oh, cool, I get to see New York City and I get to see this and that and everything. So I still feel sort of like a little kid, even at almost 50 years old, when I go to different places because I still haven't seen the entire U.S. And so for me, it's yeah, but for me it's huge. So when I go someplace I've never been, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I'm about to, you know, I learn, you know, and I grow and, you know, all that stuff. And so for me, traveling to different places, even with the food allergies I have, is like a profound thing. What is that for you? And maybe it is so. First of all, you you are absolutely right. So going to different places is a great way to grow. And the reason, one of the reasons that's true for a lot of people is the following: uh, is the last thing to discover water is a fish, meaning that <laughs> as a fish is always in water, 
so they don't know what water is because they're always there. And when we are only um, contained in our little ecosystem of our home, our car, our office, and the two stores we go to, we have a hard time reflecting on who we are. So we start going to other places. We go, okay, well, this is how they live over here, which is different than how I live. And it starts to help us realize who we are. The most mysterious person in the world to me is me <laughs> because I'm with me all the time. It's hard for me to see who I am. And so traveling is one of the ways that I can start to reflect upon and realize how my culture is and therefore how I am. Being in relationship with other people is another way to help be in reflection of who you are. Looking at your results, what you've created in your life is another way of reflecting. Um, and then to the other part of your question there, which is, do I do things that, which are outside of my comfort zone? I really, really strive to do that. I am, uh, can be every bit as guilty of falling into a rut and doing what I do. Uh, but what I did this just recently, the last two months here, as I joined an improv class, and that was really outside of my comfort zone, believe it or not, to do an improv class. And that's what I did to stretch myself. That sounds fun. Actually, I don't know if I'd like that it though. That improv class sounds scary. Like you have to be improv class is scary because it's that to me it's like whose line is it anyway? Those guys are genius, which is probably why you're there because you're probably so smart that you can come up with that stuff like that. I'd be like, I'd get up there and I'd be like, um, <laughs> I don't know, and yeah, so, I don't know if um, I could do that. That's Elizabeth, cool. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you <laughs> some really harsh news here. You as a radio host are basically doing improv. And you are great at it. You are great at it. So um, you are. It, it, what it, we would call that is a mental hurdle, <laughs> and an area for growth for you because it isn't really a limitation. You are absolutely capable of doing it. Guess where I'm going to an improv class. Oh, thank you for that. Go you. <laughs> go me. Um, okay, I do have to go back to goal setting, and I know it's. I know it's goal setting gets a little cliche and a little bit, uh, you know, kind of thing. But I still, I love goal setting still for myself. In fact, I just wrote down a new goal today. Um, this morning, I was sitting here kind of quiet, and the house was quiet and everything, and I'm like, oh, you know, i got to do this. And so I, I wrote down another goal. How do you do your goals? Because I know they're there. Or how have you done them in the past, even if you don't do them the same way so now? Part of what uh, I am developing now is we'll call it the fulfillment doctrine. What I was raised on, you know, I was raised on a steady diet of personal development through my 20s, 30s, and early 40s, and that was all based on the prosperity doctrine. So the prosperity doctrine is what we've been living under since the book came out, uh, Think and Grow Rich, in 1938 by uh, Earl I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, but yeah. that book came out and basically launched this whole idea of you think you can become rich, you will become rich. Your wealth will follow your thinking. Um, and basically it, it laid out the idea that if you uh, have more money, if you have more stuff, if you have more fame, and you have more accomplishments, you will be happier. And what we as Americans are finally waking up to is, no, we're not. <laughs> we have more yeah. stuff. We may have more money. We have less real connections, and we are not nearly as satisfied. So what my next book is, is on the fulfillment doctrine. It basically says that we as human beings uh, need to work on the, the following five areas. Um, growth is one of them. Belonging is another one, where we have meaningful connections with other people. Wholeheartedness, which is the absence of shame and self-love for ourselves. Uh, wisdom, which is the ability to make smart choices uh, in and around our life. And these areas uh, in there, if you're actually focused on those, will actually feel better. 
and one the reason I'm, going, I'm talking about this is that the SMART goal is really endemic of the prosperity doctrine. You know, we want goals that are SMART and measurable and attainable and realistic and time-sensitive. And some of those actually do work. But the latest thinking out of behavioral economics basically says we're more likely to accomplish goals if they're more in the area of living a fulfilling life. So, you know, I suggested to you, for example, that you, you know, could try, you're actually doing improv. It could be an area of growth. You might go, you know, you know what? Doing an improv class is going to give me confidence, help me stretch my creative brain, make me more articulate. It's, that's a tough one for me. I'm going to do an improv class. So that could be a goal more likely, more likely uh, in the fulfillment doctrine. Maybe a goal about having deeper relationships, being more creative, getting outside more. Uh, so those would be more of the goals that, we've, that I like to explore in the fulfillment doctrine rather than the goals mm-hmm. about getting a different job, making more money, buying a new car, getting a new house. And not that those aren't good goals, but it has been so much the focus that has not brought us much happiness. So first thing is when you're operating out of fulfillment and flourishing, you want to find goals that really satisfy you at a deep level. We're looking for satisfaction, not superficial happiness. I love that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about my 20-year-old self versus my 48-year-old self. And you're right, um, because my 20-year-old self sat at work one time and said, make $100,000 by the time I'm 30. And I'm like, "Uh, how about 25 or whatever, you know, kind of thing. And I ratcheted it down. And, you know, but the goals were real, like money, okay, buy a new car, buy blah, 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 you know, those those kinds of things. And the, the goals, Today were way, way, um, it, it was funny because you just put words to it. This morning I called them, well, those are a little vague. <laughs> and I was like, but they're, they're <laughs> isn't that funny? But, but they were more in the, this is something I want to do versus some measurable monetary or weight loss or, you know, I'm, I've always, geez, there's, this is probably the, first four years of my life where I haven't gone, Oh, I need to lose 20 pounds this year, whatever. Mm. And I never set new year's Eve, new year's goals or anything like that. But usually around my birthday, some type of weight chatter comes up and you know, we all, we do that. Don't we? We do. And I think that also when you were setting those financial goals in your twenties, that was very understandable because most likely you're just striving for your own independence. You need to have a certain economic base safety level back then where you could actually have a car and have the ideal lifestyle. And most likely now you're much more economically established and you're now saying, well, I kind of got my basic needs taken care of. I'm not worrying about where the next meal is coming from. What I really want now is to be fulfilled. (laughs) So it's a different time for, you as well yeah i i like that and maybe that do you think that there's different ages that different types of goal setting apply or do you think we're always sort of setting you know the measurable and the fulfilled sort of at the same time or do you think it changes it varies it you know what do you think about that because it's two very different types of goals they, they can be, but you know, when I was going to uh, Tony Robbins seminars back in the uh, '90s and things like that, it was um, mm-hmm. you know the goals were set a lot around achievement. Uh, that was yeah. kind of the um, culture of, of the day, you know, making more money, having what you want, having it all, that kind of an idea. But also, there were some goals in there about satisfaction and leading a fulfilling life. So I, I would just say it's a different emphasis uh, that we're trying to lead now, because most people are. What the studies tell us is the following is once an American earns about $55,000 a year, 
Um, more money does not lead to any more life satisfaction. So with $55,000 a year on average, depending on obviously where you live, you can pay your rent, you got a cell phone, you got food, food you got a car, you got your health care covered, and you can, you're satisfied. And any more money than that, it leads to no more life satisfaction whatsoever. Um, so as quickly as possible, we want to be, continue to teach people uh, how to live a more fulfilling and purpose-driven life. So if somebody wants to join your community, can the general public join? Because it sounds pretty neat. Absolutely. Or is it, is it invite we're currently only? Located, we're currently just down in Orange County, California. That's where uh, we're, we're based. So anybody in Orange County who wants to drive up and see us, the thing ab- about us is that it's really a departure from the way most people kind of operate. I mean, what, I, what I've discovered is most people don't know how to be in community anymore. What they are looking, how they kind of look at their friendships is like a buffet line. Well, when I need you, know, need you I'll call you, and I just don't show up. If I don't want you, I don't grab you. And that's not really how community works. In order for community to really work for people is they have to show up on a regular basis and oftentimes when they don't want to. I mean, part of being <laughs> in a community is sometimes sitting next to somebody who may not be your favorite person in the world. It may be listening to a speaker or hearing a talk, which isn't the best thing in the world. It may be attending a social event, which isn't ideal, but it actually is just being there. And what we're noticing about the people who are actually putting in the time and making the investment of building these really deep, mutually connecting relationships is their lives are absolutely transforming. I I was talking with a member this morning who has been suicidal for the better part of the last eight years and hasn't had now a suicidal thought in six months has been a member of our community. And that may not sound like much to the average person. That is a huge deal. Huge deal. I've had two people in my community who have been suffering from depression for decades who are now off their medications and absolutely vibrant uh, and joyful on a, on a regular basis. This is, we are social creatures. We were meant to be in close proximity on a regular basis with other people. This is how we are built, and we have actually been doing the opposite with our economy uh, and our capitalistic structure. We've become more isolated. We wanted to have our own house, our own car, uh, and then we have we want to have our own entertainment system, which is you know the internet being piped into our house, so we could do what we want, not be bothered by other people. And this is making us actually less happy, more disconnected, and leading to a more dysfunctional society where we don't know how to collaborate and compromise with other people. So we, we have meetings at least twice a week, uh, and people have got to be there. You know, I'm not you know every meeting, but they got to be there two, three, four times a month if they want the benefit. They got to actually make the investment. Got it. How how did you discover all of this? Was there was there a moment where you like for for yourself or anything like that where you felt disconnected or like yeah. looking for something totally different? Was there a moment where you're like, okay, something sucks? Yes. So um, I. I just, I got uh, divorced in 2010, or separated in 2010, divorced in 2012, and I met my new wife in 2012 as well. And during our courtship, I was around um, her parents, and her parents were having this monthly meeting, this dinner, with their friends who they've had for 35 years. So this is a group yeah. of people who have gone through all of life's gyrations together. They raised kids, got kids off to college, had kids get married, had kids have successful businesses and failed businesses. They've had grandkids together, but they did it all together. They were all going through these different life stages together. And I was thinking, you know what? 
I've got lots of friends, and I do. I've got lots and lots of friends, but none of my friends know each other. And it was a huge light bulb for me. Uh, I started doing a lot of research on community. And community is different than friends. So here is what uh, a community really is. Uh, first of all, community more or less is a, a group of people who share mutual concern for another, one another and work toward the common good of the organization. As a kind of a base hand definition of what a community is. Uh, but communities share the following four things. So first of all, uh, they share, uh, share relationships. So it's like, you know, I know you, Elizabeth, and you know um, our friend Dan, and I know Dan, and when Dan is not around, we talk about Dan. <laughs> not in a <laughs> Poor Dan, in a gossipy, great way, though. <laughs> yeah. Not in a gossipy way, but, you know, where is our friend Dan? We both know Dan. I heard Dan's, you know, off on vacation. Oh, where is he? He's in Italy. We would talk about Dan. We have shared relationships. Communities yeah. also have shared experiences where they do the same things on a regular basis. They build those life experiences up together. They have shared values, which means they're more or less operating on the same principles, and almost always that has some kind of altruistic intent behind it where you're looking out for each other. And they also have a shared mission. Uh, so I, I learned to understand that what I was lacking in my life was this idea of community, and that was kind of my missing piece. Uh, and I too, and this, I've been doing it now for about eight months, I'm starting to notice how I'm changing. My, my wife... Um, called me out in a positive way just the other night. She said, you know, Peter, we used to go to social events. Uh, every once in a while, you would just kind of disappear. You would either be hugging the wall somewhere or you'd be outside alone by yourself. And now when we're at social events, you're actively engaged. And what I was doing back then is I was self-shaming myself. And shame more or less is the fear of being ostracized. It is the feeling that you're unworthy of being loved or unworthy of being in relationship with other people. And I had this little dialogue in my head, head that said, you know, no one cares that I'm here. No one asked me any questions. No one cares what I had to say. And I would say that to myself, and then I would start creating uh, the armor or the appearance of not being, not being present. You know, my face would be sunken. I'd be kind of slouched in my chair. And, of course, no one wanted to talk to me. And it would reinforce itself, and I would isolate myself more and more. And what I've done um, over the last year is I've really have rid myself of as much shame as I possibly can. It's an ongoing process. And I'm much more wholehearted and engaged now and so much more fulfilled. I, I can't believe how I've changed myself. Um, in just being part of this community, communities. I mean, communities really um, have magical mm -hmm. healing powers. You know, if you believe in, in, in rainbows and unicorns, well, you should also believe in the power of community. It really is amazing. You know what I what I also what I love about this conversation too is, I, and I appreciate you so much for being on here, is because you're allowing people to hear that you know a, a, vul a vulnerability, and people are so afraid still, I think, to show a vulnerable side of themselves and say, hey, this part of me aches, this part of me needs some you know love and attention to it, and I don't know if I can do this myself or whatever it is that you're feeling. Um, you know, and I appreciate you sharing that with us because sometimes people go, oh, he's fine. Look at, he's the owner of marketing, you know, or whatever. And nobody stops to like, I always, in my heart of hearts, I, I, I've always been this way since I was itty bitty bitty. I used to say to my mom, no, you have to pay closer attention to people. My mom to this day, she'll be like, oh, you have always said that. I, I really feel like you really have to pay very close attention to people. Um, 
and just always pay closer attention because, you know, you scratch the surface and people ache and people have put up a, put up a front and you don't know it. And then you're like, are you all right? And they go, yeah, I'm fine. Or whatever. You know, there's all sorts of things. Don't you, do you agree with that? Disagree with that? Add on to it. Every single person is fighting a secret battle that we know oh, nothing yeah. about. Every single person. So the first thing that you said there is you, you acknowledged me for being authentic and vulnerable. And you said a lot of people fear being vulnerable. And that is another way of saying shame. That's what shame yeah. is. I'm afraid if people know how I really hurt or how I really feel, they won't like me, they will ostracize me, and I'll be more alone. So that's, what, that's how insidious um, shame is and how pervasive it is in our society. Yeah. And so the fear of being ostracized is what's driving us to be more alone. Uh, and that's yeah. one of the things that we regularly do. We do a lot of exercises that help people become more vulnerable, more authentic, where they're sharing what's really going on. And at the same time, we practice radical belonging. So we believe that everyone belongs regardless of, of anything, <laughs> race, mm-hmm. religion, creed, political belief. We accept everyone in completely, completely the same. And we also know that people flourish in an environment of acceptance. So what we tell people over and over again is whatever demon you're fighting, we love and care about you and we welcome you here. And it's one of the ways that people come to grips with dealing with their shame and exercising it to get rid of it. Yeah, like in in reality, like if you knew, if you were here in Maine with, you know, Hank, you know, we were friends and with your wife and my husband and everything like that, you would quickly discover that I'm one of the shyest human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. So shy, it's scary. I'm I'm with you at the mm-hmm. wall at the party. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally, like where where'd she go? She's uh, outside, and and uh, it's really interesting to me because I get overwhelmed in situations mm-hmm. like that. When when you throw me in a group of a lot of people, like at a at a function or a conference or anything like that, my head spins. I, I understand that as well. So as, as outgoing as I sound to be and as confident as I feel, appear to be, uh, I'm actually introverted. Uh, and the mm-hmm. distinction between introverted and extroverted is extroverted, extroverts get recharged being around people, and introverts usually need to be alone more in order to get recharged. Uh, and so I do much better in small groups of one, two, three, four, where I can have intimate communication, really in-depth and vulnerable conversations. And in larger groups, believe it or not, I, I actually <laughs> have a trouble and I sometimes lead to, to shutting down. Now, that yeah. being said, that being said, I also am really beginning to explore and wonder if uh, my introversion is actually just been shame. In that, I've been constantly telling myself when I'm in groups, no one wants to talk to me, I'm not that important, no one wants to hear me, and I've been actually, that's actually been, that's what the real introversion is. It's not actually really introversion, it's actually just shame that's keeping me isolated. So I'm beginning to think about um, uh, changing my belief about whether I'm an introvert or not to allow myself the possibility that all I've been doing is shaming myself instead. You know, that's really interesting because I just had that sort of same, um, I'm going to call it an epiphany maybe. I don't know what the, you can correct me on my word, but people send me books to review a lot for Best Ever You. And, um, you know, they just sort of randomly send them in. And there was a book on, like, it's like, are you an introvert or something like that? That's not the name of it, but it was like that. And I read it and I'm like, huh, 
for once I don't feel that way. <laughs> you know, like mm. I'm not. I put the book down. I'm like, good. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, I'd never classify myself sort of that. So I don't know. There's we got to make up a word for it. Um, we, you and I or something. We need to make up a different word for it because I don't think it fits. Um, I'll I'll mm. share the name of the book with you off offline, and you'll read it and go, no, that's that's not who I am. Um, and it'll be, I bet it'll be very interesting because we sound a little bit alike in that regard. Um, but yeah, and I agree with you on the need to just sort of be quiet and be alone every once in a while and just sit and recharge. And that's exactly how I recharge as well. So it's, it's interesting. I don't feel so alone anymore, Peter. Thank you. Mm, <laughs> I spend a lot of time going, I'm really bizarre. <laughs> I need to be quiet <laughs> when everybody else needs to be loud. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, I get it. That's yeah, you get it. That's good that somebody gets it. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about, um, I really wanted to talk about, go back to lonely. Can we go there for a little yeah, bit? Absolutely. Because I yeah. totally, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's why a lot of people um, hang out in Best Ever You in our network, in our groups, in our social media and so forth too. Um I have a mission every day when I wake up, I scan through my Facebook and I, and I really, I do that pay closer attention thing and I look and see who's hurting and who's happy. And you can tell who's hurting and who's happy in my network and the friends I have, because people will be like, my dad's really sick today or somebody died or I don't feel people are very vocal on Facebook about how they feel and what they need. Um, what do you think about lonely? Can you can you take it and run with that? No, the more I'm spending time learning about lonely, I think that more people are lonely than actually acknowledge it. Loneliness yeah. is really insidious in that most people who are lonely don't know that they're lonely. They might, you know, I think some do, and I think a lot of people don't. But I make, meet people who are business owners, have thriving businesses, lots of staff, and then that they're just not getting the con- the connection that they need. You can be mm-hmm. in a marriage and be lonely. You can be in a crowded room and be lonely. You can be in a big company and be completely and totally lonely. And it's really, uh, really insidious on how it creeps upon us. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a couple surveys out there. Let me see if I can uh, pull one up here and ask some of the questions. But, you know, some of the questions that help us kind of indicate um, loneliness is, you know, do you have at least three people, that you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I'm really hurting. I know it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I just need to talk. Do you have people like that? Do you have five people that you can call up um, you know, any day of the week and say, if you're free, I want to go to the movies, and they will be there for you? Do you have three to five people that if you want to share your deepest, most painful shame uh, about that you know that you can share with them and they'll just empathetically listen without giving you advice and once again give you the reassurance that you are loved and accepted? And if you're short on those questions, those are the beginnings of some indications that you're not as connected to others as you should be. Hmm. Those are good questions to ask yourself. So three people who could call you, three people who you could call in the in the middle of the night, five people you could call that would be like free to go to the movies with you or something like that, like on a whim. And then mm-hmm. would you say seven a bunch of people yeah. that you could talk to who wouldn't like if you said, you know, I, I'm feeling like this, they wouldn't be like, Oh, that's terrible of you to think that way and try and solve it. Right. 
Right. That's exactly Got it. it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, people do that, don't they? They always try and fix the pain. Mm-hmm. Not always, not uh, yeah, everybody. So, I guess I overgeneralize there. But in general, people, like if you say, oh, you know, my, I, God, I feel awful today, I whatever, you know, people will try and help you by fixing. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. So one of the things that we also teach and talk about a lot uh, is empathy. And empathy, the, the shorthand version, is going to project yourself into the shoes of another person to understand where they are. But then it goes a little farther than that, and it goes to empathetic listening, which is just listening to somebody without providing solutions. And more importantly, it's empathetic being. And that is just being by somebody's side uh, when they're going through a tough time. So you know, some of the things that I do now that I had never done before is when I've had friends who have been in the hospital, I've had parents in the hospital, or are going mm-hmm. through really difficult times, I just go and be with them. <laughs> I'm not there to you know, offer them help necessarily or to give them advice. I'm just there to be by their side uh, while they're going through these tough times. Uh, and being empathetic is incredibly soothing for the other person, and it's great growth for the person who's doing it as well. It's a wonderful way of being. Isn't that the nicest thing? Yeah, I I learned that um, probably a good ten, uh, maybe a little more than ten years ago now. Um, my father had a has a stroke survivor, and I always tell her name's Wendy Pet. She's at Wendy Pet on Twitter. Really nice, nice gal. Um, I told I'm from Minnesota. Um, also, you know, I, I, my parents lived there and everything, and uh, my dad had a stroke and he was in the hospital. And I told Wendy, who's from Minnesota, that I was going to be in Minnesota. She came to the hospital and just sat with me, and I didn't even know her. And we're best friends forever now. But isn't that cool? Isn't that the sweetest amazing. thing it's ever? so incredibly healing. And let me take, go on a quick little tangent here for anybody who's listening uh, who yeah. has uh, kids who are in the, the college ages or in their early 20s. So one of the hardest things to do um, as a parent is when your kids leave the house, when they go off to college when they're 18, or they leave the house in 18, 19, 20, whenever it is, is to stop giving them unsolicited advice. The hardest thing to do is, as a parent is just listen to your child as they're making horrible mistakes that are screwing up their life without saying anything. So my guess is there's a couple dozen, if not 100 people on the call here who are in that scenario. <laughs> they're still giving their college age or 20-year-old children unsolicited advice. And if I can give you one piece of advice is do the following. Don't give them any advice, none, unless they ask for it. Right. Otherwise, do exactly what we're talking about here, which is just empathize. They talk about how their relationship is rough and you know it's all their fault. You go, oh, man, that's really tough. How does it feel for you to be in this relationship right now? They talk about how they're broke because they've been spending their money stupidly. <laughs> you don't bail <laughs> them out. You just listen to them and say, yeah, you're, you're really exploring what it's like to have no money. It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, you, I love that. You just – because they're, they're making horrible, awful life decisions that break your heart. But if you want to improve your relationship with those people, it will dramatically change the dynamic forever – just be empathetic with them. Don't give them advice and don't rescue them. I need a blog from you. Can you write a blog for my website? What you just said. <laughs> can you write me ten of those things? Like when they come to it's you hard. with the uh, oh, can uh, ten scenarios and like the the little way you reversed it. That was that's brilliant. <laughs> I need that for best ever you please because we have a lot of people okay. with kids in college. I I need that if you don't mind. <laughs> I, sure. I love that. It. No, it's actually so helpful because, you know, you do sit there on the, you know, on the text trigger and you're like, 
uh, I don't know how to respond to that, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to check up. And when I was in college, it was like, bye, see ya, you know, and, you know, there was a landline and maybe if you had money for it. And you didn't text your parents every day. And we didn't, they weren't texting me or anything like that. But wow, yeah, the landscape there has changed, hasn't it? A little bit of helicopter going on. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of uh, had a, a, uh, a break from my parents when I went to college. I, was, I had a very tough relationship with my mom, and my dad was a little bit isolated. So I went to college, and I didn't talk to my parents for months. Uh, and I went wow. through all the, same, made all the same dumb mistakes that your kids are making. Uh, but, you know, you, you kind of figure it out. <laughs> you you yeah. really do. You figure it out. You, you kind of soldier on. And every once in a while, I would call my parents and uh, ask, ask for support, and they would, they would give it to me. I don't know if I would be quite as gracious as my parents were because I wasn't doing anything to nurture the relationship with them, to tell them how I was doing, to keep up with them. I would just call when I wanted something. I, I don't know if I would, I'll be as good as my parents if my kids cut me off. Now, let me also give some yeah. reverse advice um, to any college-age kids or 20-year-old kids. Uh, call your mother at least once a week and tell her you yep. love her. Don't just show up once a month with your laundry asking her for to do things for you. You call your mother once a week, every single week, and just talk to your mom. My kids do that. I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. But, so, that you know, we awesome. set that as sort of a, like, could you guys do this? And they're like, yeah, I can handle that. So Sundays are my day because, you know, I have three out of the house. Um, one one who's done with college and has an apartment and a truck and a snowmobile and all that good stuff, and then two in college right now. So what you're saying is it's it's relevant and great advice. So that's good. Do you, how many kids do you have? Uh, I've got two from my first marriage, and I've got three uh-huh. now bonus kids um, from my second <laughs> marriage. I've got five, and they're between let's see, 12, 15, like 19, 20, and 22 or something like that. I've got a, a good range. Yeah, I I have two from my first marriage and then two from this marriage. So mine are 16, 18, 20, and 22. Now, your wife sounds awesome. Do you mind talking about your wife? Hello, wife. Yeah, I don't know her name. (laughs) Her name is Amy. I'm crazy uh, in love with my wife. She's absolutely an amazing woman. I I respect her more than any other person on the planet. There's no other person on the planet whenever I need to either share uh, painful feelings, I need empathy, or if I need advice, she's the first person I go to. She's so uh, amazing. And I think people have a a general respect for me, uh, but I guarantee you anybody who meets me and meets my wife loves my wife a a hundred times more. She is so charismatic and wonderful. That's awesome. What's her background? Because she sounds like she's we, she's got the whole therapy thing down, you know, or yeah, the she's really self-help. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She you know she grew up. Uh, she was she's a natural born leader. So that is the first thing that my wife's got going for her. And it's been happening for me at a young age. You put her together with any three people within about thirty five seconds, she's going to be leading that group of people. Uh, and she's had lots and lots of leadership training uh, from being a, a camp counselor, going to camp, being a camp counselor, uh, running her own businesses. And now she's uh, very, very deep into John Maxwell, and she's one of their coach, executive coaches for John Maxwell. Uh, and she mm-hmm. does uh, so much with that. So once you start you know, learning leadership and teaching leadership, uh, it makes you uh, indisposable <laughs> in the marketplace. Yeah. Now, how okay, so let's merge the two and talk about this. We've got about ten, maybe less than ten minutes left here. So how has what you learned on the self help side of of you evolved and translated or whatever the words are into marketing pro into your into your business life and 
all that stuff. And granted, I get it that they're both, you know, one's, one's a little bit more businessy than the other in a way, just for simplicity's sake. But, you know, how does that translate to your employees, to the way you conduct yourself at work, to the way you care about other people in a work setting, you know, all those things? How's that, how's that translate? So, you know, I did a heavy stint of um, personal development work um, in my late teens and early 20s where I basically was either doing personal development workshops, reading books, or listening to back in the old days uh, audio tapes almost all the time, just on on a regular basis. And what's really um, laced into part of the DNA of almost all personal development is a heavy bit of altruism which is, you know, to live your life not only, not just for you, but in the service of others. So mm-hmm. that is where it resonated with me uh, back then. I think it's baked into my DNA. And then I was reinforced through all the personal development work that I've done. And then I really brought that to every speech I've ever done and also our service in that we were are very mission-driven. We always know what our mission is. We're trying, the pro- problem we're trying to solve and we're trying to make people's lives better. And that's always where I start from. Uh, obviously, we've been uh, driven by uh, libertarianism, a heavy dose of Ayn Rand uh, for the last 50 years or so, which is you know this kind of idea of greed is good, take care of yourself, and when the world gets better, and it doesn't, it's not really working out that well. Uh, I think the uh, working toward the common good is a mm-hmm. much more effective for us human beings. We're these social creatures that are evolved in packs. And one of the reasons we have evolved to become the dominant species on the planet, besides our brains and opposable thumbs, is that we work together. <laughs> it is cooperation <laughs> and collaboration. That is why we put men on the moon and built this great society of opportunity uh, and these wonderful lives and these great technologies is we do collaborate and work together. So that has been a very, very um, uh, intrinsic to who I am is always doing what I do in service of others. I love it. Love it. Um, Let's talk before we go, excuse me, about your book, the brand called you, if you don't mind a little bit more. Um, I I think it's on, it's on Amazon. Everybody can get it there. You can get it any place where books are sold, but it's called the brand called you make your business stand out in a crowded marketplace. I'd love for you to tell us more about that because it's, it's a bestseller. Everybody listening, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, first of all, any, anyone who's thinking about writing a book, uh, please understand that only you know one percent of books, if not if, if it's less than that, actually ever make any money. Most likely, you're going to be putting in a hundred <laughs> times the effort for the reward that you get out of it. So, just know that. <sighs> Uh, if you're thinking about creating a book, the, the best reason to create the book uh, most likely is credibility. So if you want to get on an interview on radio shows and you want to go out and speak, being able to say, here's a book that I have, it gives you the credibility, the platform to go out and speak and train. So that's probably the best reason to write a book. However, you're going to write a book because you think you're going to make a lot of money. It's highly unlikely. It's possible but not probable. And I'm, I'm assuming there's some people who are listening here who are, who are thinking about writing books. Um, yeah. That book for me, I really did my best. Uh, I was very clear about that. Is I wanted the book to be as practical as possible. I wanted to give people as many ideas uh, to actually take it, read it, and then grow their businesses from that. I wanted to be very applicable to growing their businesses. That book is geared to what we'll call solopreneurs. It is usually where the business is driven by a, a, a single uh, person, by and large. It usually applies to dentists, realtors, doctors, financial advisors, chiropractors, 
radio show hosts, actors. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the market for those books is people who are building businesses based on their relationship. And a lot of people don't understand what a brand is. They kind of know they have like kind of a vague, obtuse meaning what it means. But the best way of describing a brand, and there's a lot of words you could use for it, um, is the word specialization. So uh, that's the only thing you take away from this part of the conversation here is a brand is a specialization. So if I say Coca-Cola, you know that is a carbonated, very sugary, very unhealthy drink, for example. If I say Nike, you probably think about sports apparel. Uh, if I say, say Toyota, you might say high-quality, affordable Japanese car. Um, so that's the idea behind a brand is to make sure that your name becomes synonymous with something. Um, and you can also find examples of people like you know Walt Disney, which is family entertainment, uh, or Calvin Klein, which is affordable and stylish clothing, um, or Charles Schwab, which is you know a discount brokerage. Uh, so the idea as an individual is to also build your specialization in the minds of your prospects and clients. So when I think about, hey, uh, I am looking to sell my house, who is the best realtor in the area? Your name is the top of mind, for example. Love it. Yeah, it's I, I think it's a wonderful book. It is a book I have read and it's a book that I've I've used principles from to do best ever you. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's cool to have you on the on the show. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know him. I read that book. <laughs> so, um yeah, that was that was a while ago that I read that book and it was neat to put two two together and come across you again and um discover that, you know, that that was you and all the other things that you do. Um so thank you, because it, it's a really, really helpful book. And I speak from experience there with, with everything that I do on Best Ever You. And it does really, um, that's the part that hit home for me, like your name synonymous with something. And like, for for example, with Best Ever You, I always wanted people to, I never put my whole thing with Best Ever You from the start was to never put crap out onto the internet. <laughs> and meaning mm-hmm. that when when you land on something that, that ha- is mine, it doesn't send you in loops to buy something. It doesn't send you in another direction to join something. It doesn't. I could care less if I ever get your email. Um, what <laughs> What I want to do is network people together in like a community that people can trust. Into that thing that you're saying, like, you know, you can call so and so and and they'll help you. If you're visiting Minnesota, you can tweet Dale and he'll pick up the phone and meet you for lunch, you know, that kind of thing. And um, all while people get to promote their own brand within best ever use. So if somebody does have a book or, you know, whatever's going on in their world, they know that when we tweet it through best ever you, they can trust that it's been sort of vetted, if you will. Like mm-hmm. good, you know, that's kind of where, that's kind of where we went, where I went with that a long time ago with best ever you. I don't know how, how you can fix it. <laughs> got the pro on the line he can give tips afterwards but but that's the kind of the whole thing with best ever you um for me anyway um but it sounds like what i love about your community too is the in person i i for a long time there with four kids until i was the last person anybody ever wanted to meet in person Hmm. With, with four <laughs> tiny babies, <laughs> they're like, "No, oh, did you so want to come over? No, <laughs> just stay where you are." It's so hard. 
so hard. God, I really, you really did God's work with four kids. I was raised in a family <laughs> with five boys, so I really understand you the chaos it. that is unleashed on a regular basis. I totally get it. That's um, too yeah, funny. The uh, in in person is is absolutely vital to um, I think so our too. emotional health. We cannot. It's really hard to be fulfilled. Uh, being a hermit, it's. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there who is fulfilled who's a hermit. Uh, I haven't met that person yet because they've been so hermited. Um, but yeah, we really <laughs> need in-person yeah. meetings. What yeah. what has happened because of our technology is we have what we call a lot of uh, symbolic substitutes, and they are things that feel like they're satisfying the need, but they're not really doing it. They're a false gratification. So like we have mm-hmm. this need for real human human face-to-face contact, and instead we go on social media and we get updates. It feels like it's doing it, but actually what it turns out is people who spend excessive amount on social media are quantifiably, definitively less happy than exactly. people who are spending time face-to-face. Uh, we can mm-hmm. do things like you know, uh, you know, spend time surfing the web, or uh, we can uh, you know, do, watching entertainment, for example, versus being with other people. All those things are symbolic substitutes that don't, are, are leading to false gratification. We absolutely need a face-to-face, human-to-human contact on a regular basis in order to be happy and healthy and grow. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's it's interesting. We're going to go into record mode, by the way, which is fine. Everybody who's listening, you'll still be able to listen. Um, But the show is just going to run just a few more minutes longer so we can close out, right, because we're over on time a little bit. Do you have a couple, like two more minutes just to kind of finish up? Okay, cool. Um, We have a question also, too, that I want to be sure and get to. Um, But, yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I've noticed on social media that – I'm missing invitations to things too. No longer is the invitation coming to me in my mailbox. So I really actually see it, but people are sending invitations to things and my social media is so um, I'm I'm not on it or I'll miss it or it's busy or whatever, but I'll get, I'll get emails and say, Hey, you missed my, my 50th birthday or whatever. I'm like, I did. I didn't even know about it. And they're like, well, I sent you an invite on blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh man. I didn't look. I don't see it or notice it or anything. Have you noticed that at all with things? Oh, of Changing. course. There's ah. so many communication modalities. We got text. We have Facebook feed. We have Facebook Messenger. We have other social media. We have the phone. We have got email. We got regular mail, and then we have people that we run into. Uh, what I'm noticing for me is I have become. Uh, so hungry for information. I'm gathering so much information from so many places now. I don't know where the information came from, whether the information was true <laughs> or not, uh, and whether I, whether I actually responded or not. Uh, it's one of the pitfalls of living in this heavy information, easy connect, easy connectedness, at least digitally anyway, a society. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last question. Um, so somebody just actually emailed this to me. So thank you for doing that. Um, people want to know what you do to stay healthy. That's interesting. Oh, so yeah. I actually two people before we go, um, people want to know what your practice is because you're so busy and flying and owning things and meeting people and doing all these things. What do you do to stay healthy? I, I work out. So first of all, I do my best to eat better than I should. I, I don't eat nearly as well as I should. So first of all, if I was really smart, I would eat uh, a very, very clean diet and clean diet would mean uh, lots of fresh vegetables, fruits, uh, and lean meats. That would be my ideal diet if I actually was paying attention to it more. I don't do that nearly as often as I should. should. Diet is really important. Uh, and then uh, I, I work out either four or five days a week, and I alternate between uh, CrossFit, 
and Orange Theory Fitness. I do both of them either two or three days uh, a week, really regularly, first thing in the morning. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's that's into CrossFit. I, CrossFit is that the is that like the championship stuff in, and everything? Yeah, what's CrossFit? They have that. They have, they have the, 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 the competitive uh, athletes who are on ESPN once a year doing absolutely mm-hmm. amazing thing. And there's obviously a recreational level of CrossFit too. Uh, in almost every single town in America, somewhere in a warehouse or in a retail space is a CrossFit gym. And those are all group classes, and it's a combination of cardio, uh, 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 cardio, uh, uh, strength exercises, and usually some level of stretching. So and it happens, there you know, classes almost on the hour, and you go in there for into a group class and do that uh, through two or three days a week. Okay, do you mind taking one more question? We just had one one more come sure. in. Um, sure. So the, the, that somebody tweeted us. Um, how do you practice personal forgiveness? That's, oh, that's an interesting question, isn't it? We'll end on this. Yeah, it is. So I am a human like everybody else, and I am wired for revenge uh, just like everybody else is. So I can watch you know, videos on social media where somebody is wrong and I, my blood boils and I want to seek revenge on behalf of a third party. I had been wronged by other people, and I also want to seek revenge too. So I, I have that just like everybody else does. The first thing I recognize is the following, is seeking revenge is like taking a poison pill and expecting the other person to suffer. <laughs> yeah. So those vengeful thoughts and sitting there and anger and hate, uh, it does absolutely nothing for us, nothing, zero. It hurts us a billion times more than it hurts the other person. So I have an intellectual understanding of that kind of anger and frustration with the people does not help. Uh, the second thing is I practice what's called the doctrine of absolute responsibility. And the doctrine of absolute responsibility says that I am ultimately in complete and total control of everything that happens in my life. So if I walked out my door and an asteroid came out of nowhere and hit me, I would say, okay, well, obviously I didn't control the asteroid, but I did put myself outside. And you know what? There is a risk to being in the world that we cannot control, and so that was, that was me. If um, I got in an auto accident, I would say, okay, you know what? Um, I would put my car here. That was my responsibility. I was screwed over in a business deal uh, last year. It really hurt, and I had to come back and go, you know what? I didn't put the right written agreement in place. That was my responsibility. So, so many people uh, equate uh, responsibility with blame and shame, and that's not how I think about responsibility. Responsibility to me is about control and creating the outcome that I want. So that's there's two things that I do. Number one, I logically know that vengeance helps hurts hurts only hurts me. And number two, yeah. I look at what what I did to cause the outcome, and I take responsibility for that. Great. Thank you for that. That was. What a, I'm going to listen to the show a whole bunch of times, so I hope you all do too. <laughs> There's a lot of information that we talked about and a lot of wisdom here, and I hope this has been as helpful to everybody else as it has been to me. And, um, Peter, I just want to thank you for saying yes. That was really cool um, when out of the blue I emailed you and, you and you just instantly said yes. You didn't even hesitate, and I just think that was the neatest thing, um, and I appreciate that because it's really cool when people do that because we end up with shows like this. You, you well, I absolutely you know? adore you, Elizabeth, and I love the work that you're doing, so it was an easy thing for me to do. 
Thank, thank you. But really, it's back to you. I'm sending it back to you. So, um, it, it, what a wonderful, what a wonderful blessing to have you on here today. Um, really, just a gem of a show where you just learned so much. Um, everybody, I thank you so much for listening. And Peter, thank you for being here. Please visit Peter's websites at Uplifters Community. That's plural, upliftersCommunity.org and Marketing.pro. Um, join that community, and um, you know, I bet you could get on a flight and go see him and join that community and do a couple of those meetings and it would be probably pretty fun and welcoming and a lot of a lot of love and respect and and all of it yeah um so the next time I'm there yeah I'm going because I have a friend who lives in Manhattan Beach my best friend for like 40 some years and um she's awesome her name's Kathy yeah we've been best friends since we were tiny and um, so she'd probably love it too. I'm going to tell her about it. Um, okay, so everybody, I'll be, I'm going to be quiet. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for listening. And remember that one of the things I love about Best Ever You is that it's all grassroots. I always joke I'm a little husband funded, um, <laughs> but we're all grassroots. There's nothing behind us um, but some husband funding here and there. And what I, what I love so much is that um, – you know, in that grassroots, when we have guests on, you really wrap your arms around our guests. You buy their books, you visit their websites, you reach out on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is, and you welcome the guests into our community, too, and share the show and listen. And then what I'm really loving lately is hearing that you've, you've shared this show with somebody who you thought it could help. That makes me just smile from ear to ear. So when you hear something like this and you're like, oh, I know, Sarah might love to listen to this, and you share the show in that way, that's really cool. And um, I'm starting to get messages like that more and more, and so it makes us happy. So a lot of information here, um, especially, um, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but if you've got shyness, if you've got anxiety, if you've got even a hint of depression, or you're feeling insecure, the whole self-love, self-worth thing, There's a lot of information here to help you out, um, especially um, if you're feeling that way. So anyway, all right, I'm going to be quiet. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. And we're going to be back on Thursday with Annika Sorenstam. She's, um, I was watching golf and uh, I asked my husband, I'm like, who's the, who's the female Tiger Woods? You know, who's the, who's the, who's the female equivalent of the greatest golfer? And he goes, well, that's Annika. And I reached out on Twitter and sure enough, She's coming on the show. <laughs> so I'm so excited about that. Uh, so we have Annika Sorenstam coming on. She'll be on, on the show April 12th at 1.30 live, taped live. And um, she's a mom and an incredible golfer, and she's going to spend time with us, and I'm really excited about that. Um, I am not a golfer. I'm the, probably the world's worst golfer ever. Um, so it should be interesting <laughs> to, get, to talk to her. Um, so I'm going to have to brush up on my golf skills. Right, Peter? <laughs> Are you a good golfer? No, I'm horrible at it. Yes, I'm yes, horrible. Yes, yes. I'm embarrassed. I'm afraid to have talk about fear. I'm afraid to have her on because she she might hear this even. Oh, horrible. Oh my gosh, I'm the worst golfer ever. Like people are like, yeah, no, just stay over there and don't golf. But um, I'm sure we'll find many wonderful things to talk to her about. She's got an amazing career. Do you know who Do you know who she is and everything? I do. She's, She's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so excited to have her on. So, all right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Um, And we will see you Thursday. All right. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident. Successful. 
caring and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.